uh, Jesus Church, why it's the hope of the world. We're in our, our third week of this series, and I've been enjoying it. I don't know about you, but it's been a bit of fun doing a bit of the research and a bit of the looking into it and then sharing it on the Sunday. Uh, Jesus Church, we're on. Week one. You remember week one? This is just to give you a bit of a recap. We looked at this whole context that it's the loving and united family of our Heavenly Father. And we looked at seven characteristics that were gleaned from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And they're things like honor, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. Our best efforts. What was our best efforts in relation to? Anyone remember? In pursuing unity amongst the body and our willingness or to be a prisoner of peace. That were the, the points from our first week. The second week, we looked at this whole sense of it's the ministering family of our Heavenly Father. When we look at the church, we, uh, <clears throat> we see that God has given us all gifts, and He's given the church gifts, and uh, there's a few listed there, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teachers, um, and the apostles, I think I said that one, uh, then there's other gifts like servant helpers and uh, encouragers, givers and leaders, administrators, mercy givers and healers, etc. The list goes on. It's like that uh, as a sense of there's just gift after gift after gift. And when we all, uh, when we discover that God has not only given us a gift, but He's graced us to grow in our gift, then we become the ministering family of God, and we begin to minister one to another, and we begin to minister uh, grace to each other and we see us grow as a family today it's along a similar theme but it's uh we're looking at this third third topic week three it's called uh the church it's the perfect ministry model of our heavenly father it's the perfect ministry model of our heavenly father so why don't we just pray for a moment father we give you glory and we give you honor we thank you lord for the opportunity to gather around your word Lord, with all the scriptures we will look at today, I pray that they be uh, according to your voice to us today, that they will be in time, in season, and Lord God, they will pierce directly to our spirit. Lord, we thank you that we can be renewed of mind and transformed into the likeness of Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in looking at this topic, I, I had a question, and the question was really, what is ministry all about? Has anyone ever asked that? What is ministry all about? We use that word a lot in church. We talk about ministry, and uh, you'd be forgiven to think that it's a lot to do with those who are called into the ministry, as far as uh, priests or pastors or all those sorts of things. But ministry goes beyond just their vocation. Ministry is something more. So I thought, why don't we try and define it a little bit? And as we answer this question, <clears throat> let me just start with this introduction. I want to answer this question by stating that today we will look at one area in particular, and that is to follow the example of our great commander, Jesus Christ. But it must be said Next week, Pastor James will take us on a journey as we conclude this series about Jesus' church. And in his conclusion, he will be looking at what it is to be Christ-like. So we need to remember that the goal here is to see the church reflect not only her purpose, 
but her very nature of Christ. So we can put that topic aside until next week. So what is ministry all about? Ministry means this. It means, in its simplest form, to serve. Uh, Diakonio is the Greek word, and you can look that up any time you want. There's some resources in our library. Or the second form of the word ministry can be defined in this way, to serve as a slave. And there's another word there, it's called dulio. That word is to serve as a slave. So if we were to simply define serving or ministry, it is to serve God and other people. When we look at ministry, it is simply to serve God and to serve other people. There are many scriptures around this where Jesus teaches us to love God and to love others. But to minister to others, we need to see this comes from our devotion to Christ, which develops our love for another. Ministry is more than a pastor's role. It is for every Christian. The Great Commission was said to all and is for all Christians. What was the Great Commission? to go into all the world and to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that to not just the pastors. He said that to those who would follow him, those who would call themselves disciples of Jesus. So ministry for each member of the body is different and thus should be assessed by love and not by comparing one to another. Paul writes this in Romans 12. In verse 3, we'll put it up there for you to read it. It says, For by grace, or by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 8. Jesus gives us some great examples if you want to write them down, Matthew 20, 28 and Mark 10, 45. And we'll look at Mark 10, 45, but they both say the very same thing. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we're looking at what it is to serve. We're looking at what it is to minister. And Jesus himself, the very uh, example that we are to follow, says to us that he gave his life. He comes to give his life to serve and to serve the Father. We think about that. And we think, wow, to give your, ran- your life as a ransom for many. What does that look like? Well, for Jesus, that looked like dying upon the cross. But what does it look like for us? What does it look like for you? What does it look like in your individual circumstance as you live to be a member of the church 
a significant function in the church as a member of the body? They're good questions and they're things that we need to sit down and seriously through our devotional time talk to God about. What is my ministry role? What is the gift that I have that I've been graced with that not only blesses the body but that can serve others outside of the church? And how do I find fulfillment in that? The last thing I want to look at about ministry is this sense. It says, the content of ministry seems to prioritize the ministering in spiritual things, not just practical. Sharing the gospel with others so that they can come to know Christ and receive him as personal savior, going on to experience him as Lord of their lives and even further for them to know he is the essence of their lives. So when we talk of spiritual things, what we're talking about is this idea that we have partner with Holy Spirit in teaching people about Christ and his goodness, about sharing the love of God that goes beyond just me telling you that I love you, but using the actions and the means by which God gives us. John 1.12 puts it this way, talking of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you share the gospel, when you think about what that is, he gave you the right to become children of God. And as a minister, as someone called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's every member, every person that is a function within the church, every person that belongs as part of the body, as ministering gifts within the church and out, one of your roles is to show that when people come to Christ, that they know that they uh, have the right to say, I am the son of God. Daughter, if you like that language a little bit more. The next verse, it says this in Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So that's talking about as you received him by faith, by faith walk out the expression of your Christianity. It says, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. You know, we don't really understand life until we can give it back to God with gratefulness. No matter what you're going through, it could be a a storm in your life, you could be at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. We need to learn to be thankful in the mountain and thankful in the valley. When we learn thankfulness, that it, it re-imbibes us and, it, re, and it, it rejuvenates us and it fills us with faith so that we can continue to walk out. It's this context that we're talking about. The, second, the third scripture there uh, is Galatians 2.20 and we should know this one quite well. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can pick up there that word of what I was talking about before as serving as a slave in that context. It's no longer I who live. It's not about my rights. It's not about my role. It's not about how I feel. But it's about living out of faith who God is and what he's called me to do. And in that you will find your fullness and fulfill, your fulfillment. And lastly, looking at, I've got a lot of scriptures today, but they're important scriptures, ones to write down and, and, and to go through. It says this in Philippians 3, 8 to 10. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. When we look at the gospel, we count everything as loss, not just the sin, but the desires and the will of our life. We count them as loss because they never, ever match up to the desires and will that God wants us to live for. It says, continuing, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But we could put in there, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by working. Okay, It's having a righteousness not coming from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Some pretty big words there, aren't there? That I should know Him in the power of His resurrection that I may live in the fullness of what the Holy Spirit puts into me. That I may die to the very things of the flesh, that I may be identified with His death. This is what it is to be ministers of God. It's what it is to partner with God to see the world come to know Him. If, G- if, if, if this is what it is to minister as a ministry model, We need to understand that Jesus was the perfect example of this. You can't find this in any other, any other, uh, person. You can't follow any other, uh, celebrity or high profile on Instagram and think you can get everything that you need from them. You just can't do it. Jesus was the perfect example of the apostle, the perfect example of the evangelist, pastor, the teacher, the prophet. He was the perfect example of the server, the helper, the encourager, the contributor, the perfect leader, the administrator, the perfect ministry giver or mercy giver, the perfect healer and the perfect miracle worker. When you think about Christ in that context, there's no other person that your life should be compared to. And it's not to look at in a sense of heaping guilt on yourself that I don't measure up to Christ and I don't measure up to His standard. But it's to be a goal that is set before us that we can achieve by the grace of the Holy Spirit as we are in partnership with Christ in our life. We put it out there as a goal to chase, not as something to heap guilt upon ourselves. Not to say, woe am I because I'm a sinner and that I'm going to stay in this sinning state for the rest of my life. But we, we put off the old and we push on to the new with Christ as our goal. That's what it is to minister. We, we we're honest. We have integrity. We muck up all the time and we have to go to God and lean upon His grace and ask Him for forgiveness. That's no different to anyone else in the world. So that gives us humility when we approach people in spiritual matters. So if Jesus is the perfect model, if we want to know what it is to minister or to be a ministry and to apply our ministry gifts, where they are to function, when they are to operate and how they are to express themselves and why they are needed, we need to look no further than looking at Christ and how he applies them. Pastor Bill Vasilakis, he writes this, We must allow Jesus through the gospel records and then Peter and Paul 
in the Acts account and through their writings to be our authoritative model for ministry. And we all need to align our beliefs and practices to their personal example. Please be wary of the fanciful theories of some people who from time to time try to make more or less of these ministry gifts, particularly when it comes from self-appointed and self-validating leaders who claim an apostolic or prophetic ministry orientation and say that they are only accountable to God. See, because God puts in a, a perfect structure within his church and his body. And although we are all equal, he puts within it leadership. And he puts upon those leaderships not only double honor, but double responsibility and accountability. You see? And, and if, we all, if all we do is walk around and say, you know what, I'm not accountable to you, I'm not accountable to you, I'm not accountable to the body, I'm not accountable to the church, I'm not accountable to whatever, I'm just accountable to God, it sets us up in a state of pride where no one can speak into our lives and correction can't come. We can't bring reproof. We can't bring this sense of admonishing one another. And uh, isn't that part of life together? Think about your family. Imagine what your family would be like, mums and dads, if you didn't admonish your children. Think about it. It'd be chaos, wouldn't it? They'd rule the roost. Yeah? They'd rule the house. And we can't have that. So God puts in this perfect structure so that people can't say that they're only accountable to Him and Him alone. So I want to look at six things we can learn from Jesus today. Six simple things. Firstly, it's all about being genuinely called. When we look at ministry, it's all about being genuinely called just like Jesus was genuinely called. In John 18.37, Jesus was clear about his purpose and what he was called to do. It says there, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. So he acknowledges to Pilate that he's the king. And he acknowledges this sense that he knew exactly what his purpose was for. For this reason, I came into the world. For this reason, I came to testify of the truth. Now, he didn't just testify of the truth by his words, did he? Jesus testified of the truth through miracles, through healings, through setting people free of the demonic oppression. And then eventually, he came for that one purpose, to testify to the truth, to hang himself on a tree, to be nailed to a cross and to give up his life so that you and I can come into the family. So if we look at Jesus, we see that he was genuinely called, but there are two other authoritative people within the scriptures, Paul and Peter. They say this, when we look at Romans 1.1, they too knew their call. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But then Paul didn't just walk around and, and demand things, did he? Like some of those who thought that they were apostles of the day. He didn't just walk around and demand them to follow the law and demand them to mutilate themselves and demand them to abstain from eating certain things. He walked around and demonstrated love as an apostle called by God. He ministered love as he served the church. You look at Peter, he's another one, and he wrote this in his own <clears throat> uh, in his second epistle. He writes, Peter, a servant and apostle 
of Jesus Christ. He puts in there servant to make everyone know and to make him sure that he's not putting himself on a high pedestal, but that he's first a servant, second an apostle, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as a leader within the church, Peter says, we're all on equal standing. We're all at this place where we're called and accountable to God, where we're all saved by the very grace of God, and we're servants first and foremost, before we try and claim any sense of position or title. We're no different, as we read from John's Gospel earlier. We are called by his name, John 1.12. And we have the rights of a son and a co-heir. When we accept, we are not only saved, but called to further the kingdom through our sharing of the gospel in love. Faith becomes authentic and genuine. Have you ever had a problem with your faith? Have you ever sat back and said, my faith is faltering, my faith is failing, I don't seem to have faith today? Maybe what the question should be is, I don't, why don't I have faith? The question should be, what can I do that exercises the gift of faith in my life that shows me that I need to rely on God and not my own circumstances? Because that's what faith is. It's putting into action this very trust that God is your everything and he will provide your every need. So instead of sitting back and going, my faith is faltering, I'm feeling like I'm struggling, look for the opportunity outside of yourself to minister faith and you will once again be filled with faith. It's one of those things. You give it away and God just gives you more. Faith becomes authentic and genuine. But what if I trip? What if I stumble? What if I fall? The grace God has bestowed on me of a daily nature is truly unbelievable. As we develop in character, God's call and favor lead us on. When we settle in our hearts that God has called each one of us, that he has elected us and chosen us, we grow. Romans 11.29, I'm hoping it's up there for you. Nope. It says this, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now I've heard that in terms of ministers using them in pride. But if you use that scripture in faith, which is what the basis of that scripture is about. If God has called you, he has equipped you, and he will not take that from your life. They're irrevocable. Okay. Secondly, so if that's the first point, the second point is this. It's all about being meek, humble, and gentle. You remember this from the very first week. It's all about being meek, humble, and gentle, which is exactly what Jesus was. You know, we joke around and we talk about the authority voice of Jesus. And sometimes you wouldn't want to be in that place, especially after he fashioned a bullwhip and chased people out of the temple for selling and profiting from, uh, from doing what they were doing. Sometimes we speak about how sometimes Jesus speaks strongly for us, to us. But it's really from his meekness. And it's not from the place where he's domineering and dominating us, but it's from meekly leading us being humble and gentle. From week one, we saw this explicitly taught in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, where we read, Take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Bill Vasilakis again writes this, The Jesus Christ who has called you and who works supernaturally through you lives in you through the Holy Spirit. I get an amen to that, please. And he so desires to build into you these two character qualities that beautifully exemplify his earthly ministry and conduct. Humility and gentleness will enable you with his wisdom and power to be able to resist the intoxication to vanity that can come when God chooses to use you. Do you realize that egotistical pride and the bullying of people are the polar opposites of these two distinguishing characteristics of all genuinely called ministry gifts? This is why we should keep our distance from any ministry that pridefully lords it over people, as this is not the way of Jesus. We see that in the Scriptures, don't we? We see that in the story of Jesus as he walks through and gently leads his disciples. Sometimes you you can hear in the writings that he's getting frustrated. But he goes to God and he, he probably debriefs with God about, why have you given me these boys, these men? Why have you given me these? That, they just don't seem to be getting it, God. And you can hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit just coming into his life. You chose them. You chose them. Jesus goes, oh yeah, I chose them. Okay, I can do this as he walks away. And he comes back and he's humble. And he's gentle. And he's, he's lowly in a sense, but he's meek. Peter and Paul faithfully followed the meek, humble and gentle ministry pattern of Jesus also. As we read these passages, open your mind and heart to the wonderful lessons we hear. I'm going to grab that microphone if that's all right, Jamie. Just for a moment, I think... I do, look at that. Thanks, ma'am. I'm going to do something different. I've asked a couple of people to read. If I can have you stand, thanks, Steph. These scriptures, read them out for us and hear. Close your eyes as you listen to these. 1 Peter 5, 1-7 So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Thanks, Steph. And Wayne, thank you. You've got the second passage for us. Philippians 2, 1-8. So if there is is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you want to write them down and you don't recall what they were, they were First Peter 5, 1 and Philippians 2, 1 to 8. You see Jesus in the model. You see as Paul and Peter write how they modeled themselves after Christ. And they're exhorting those who believe and those who are following them and those who are planted in the churches that they've planted to be exactly the same. A third point, if we're to follow the ministry model or if we are to continue to outwork the call of unity as being and beings that God's perfect ministry model as a church, we must see this, that it's all about being a selfless, sacrificial servant just like Jesus. It's all about being a selfless, sacrificial servant. Mark 10, 42-45 puts it this way. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but be served, or but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, through the example of his life and his death, is saying that selfless sacrificial servanthood, which embraces suffering, is the only approach to ministry that can take that we can take. Paul and Peter follow this. I want you to hear that word really quickly. What I read just then, it says this, which embraces suffering. To be a minister, to, to minister the goodness of God, to continue to, to, to outwork the call of God on your life and the ministry expression of the gift of God in your life. You will go through times where you are suffering. And a lot of the times I hear Christians say, oh, the devil made me do it, or the devil's put this oppression on me. But sometimes we walk through suffering for a very purpose of being formed into the image of Christ. God doesn't bring it upon us, but he allows us to walk through them to learn things and that we may trust him in the midst of them. And that's where his grace comes into effect. His grace comes into effect where we would trust him in the middle of the crisis where we'll trust him in the middle. It might be the, the death of a loved one. It might be the diagnosis of a sickness. It might be the fact that um, you've lost a job. Or whatever it may be, the crisis that comes into your life, because life continues to happen. Whether you're with Christ or not, life continues to happen. The Bible actually says that, that God graces all with the rain. 
doesn't matter whether you're with him or not. The, the, the very things of God and the very life that we live, goodness and badness, they both just happen because of the world that we live in. But what happens is we minister the things of God. We need to learn in those darkest hours and to trust God through those times. So no matter what crisis we go through, it's in the middle of that that we learn what it is to sacrifice and be servant and be a servant of Christ. It's in the middle of those things. You won't know what it is to serve Christ and to be sacrificial if you're always on the mountain and going through an extreme experience every day of your life. But it's in the the the, the depths where you're down in the depths of the valley. Pastor Rod used this analogy years ago coming back from the Solomons after his Kolkhoffa walk. The analogy was that at the bottom of every mountain in the valley was a stream that brought refreshing. When you learn to trust God in the, in the crisis, he's like that refreshing stream that comes into your life. And you learn what it is to, ser- to sacrifice and to live for God in those times. 1 Thessalonians 2.9 says, surely, be- <clears throat> surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Paul was kind of bivocational, they call it today. He worked as a tent maker and paid for his way and so that he wasn't a burden on the churches that he was planting. Peter in 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This faithful servanthood comes out. A fourth point, in expressing our ministry as the church of God, His perfect ministry model, we must be driven by seeing that it's all about being entrusted with the gospel of God's free grace, like Christ was. Look at what Mark and Matthew said about Jesus as He conducted His ministry. Sharing, preaching, teaching and proclaiming the good news to the lost was his primary focus. And it should also be with us, irrespective of the ministry gift he has graced us with. What does that mean? If you're a mercy giver, don't get all bogged down in just going, oh, there, there, it's going to be okay. The reason people are going through the storms could be the very point that they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. That's why sometimes people have to go through tragedy to soften the hardness of their heart. If you're, if you're a, a giver, you like to give out of the abundance that God has given to you. If you like to give out of your, your skills and your time and your talents. Don't just serve people so that you could be abused in all of that. It's about the purpose of sharing the grace of God into those situations. You gotta, you gotta see that, that all of these things, All of these gifts are so that we can share the ministry gift of the gospel of Christ. Mark 1.15 says it this way. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Seeing that the gospel is not just the words, but it's the ministering of the Holy Spirit that brings the two together. 
and brings transformation in the lives of those around you. God has uniquely gifted you like that. Paul and Peter knew that the gospel message and that they had to, that it was entrusted to them and that by Jesus they must speak out these things. They must share of the nature of the Savior and Jesus our Lord. You can look them up in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 and you can also look them up in 1 Peter 1, 10-12. The great theme of the entire New Testament centers around Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for humanity through his life, death and resurrection. When we faithfully proclaim the complete message about his son, irrespective of what ministry we may be outworking, God will supernaturally support us with miraculous signs to be able to win people to Jesus. Again, God's word cannot be clearer on this. Mark 16 and verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. The next one, what's it say? In Acts 8, 4, 6, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. God's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's gifted you to not only use your gifts, but to trust him and to have faith that the words of the gospel will be backed up mightily by his Holy Spirit. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's not just word, it's in power. I think I said I had six points, but really this is my last point. It's the fifth point. To demonstrate that we are the perfect ministry model of our Heavenly Father is to realize that we are being enabled by the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. Jesus said that it was only through the presence and power of the Spirit that he could minister to hurting people and be able to heal their many wounds. In Luke 4, 18-19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, or on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says that it's not just about the word that's in me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare this over your life. And as we declare this over your life, you will find freedom. As we declare this over your life, you'll understand what it is to no longer be oppressed. As we declare this over your life, you will come out of the prison cell that you've locked yourself in, which Jesus opened that day upon the cross and the three days later when he rose again. When we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there to confirm it. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power 
of God. There's many stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New, where the power of God is seen and it brought transformation to all who looked upon. People will either run from the power of God or they'll be run, run to the very nature of God that they see through his power. Peter wrote it this way. I was revealed, oh, sorry, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we proclaim the gospel, as we proclaim the Christ, as we step out in faith and begin to use the gifts that God has given us, as we believe through relationship that we are called by God to grow closer to God and to even ask God for things that he hasn't quite given us individually, some of those other gifts that are there, some of those other gifts that Paul talks about when you look at 1 Corinthians, to prophesy to, what are they? Speak words of knowledge, to speak words of wisdom over people, to reach out and to heal people, to be workers of miracles. Think about that. Healings and miracles are different things. To trust God and have faith that would actually move mountains as a gift from God. We've got these things that angels don't have, and yet... We get caught up by them sometimes. We think about it. Like Jesus, Peter and Paul, our dependency must be on God alone who provides all that we need to outwork the ministry call he has placed on our lives. Our sufficiency comes through his indwelling spirit who constantly enables and resources us to be able to do God's will and to serve God's specific purpose for our life. So there were five points wrapping up. It's all about being genuinely called. Do you know today, church, that you have been called by God? And by being called by God, that means that you are called into his church and you are called to be ministers of his graces. The second one, it's all about being meek, humble and gentle. It's not about lording over one another. It's about sharing the gospel in love. Thirdly, it's about being selfless and sacrificial in what we do. Like Jesus, selfless and sacrificial. It's about being entrusted with the gospel of God's free grace. And lastly, it's about being enabled by his Holy Spirit. Never, this is my challenge to you this morning, never forget that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. So look to him in all matters that have to do with your spiritual life and ministry. Romans 1.17, Hebrews 12.2, write them down. We've looked at Hebrews 12.2 a fair bit this year. But resolve in your heart to let the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, server, helper, encourager, contributor, leader, administrator, mercy giver, healer, and miracle worker be your constant guide in all aspects of the ministry journey that he has called you on. Jesus is our greatest 
ministry model and the only hope for our lost world. And this is why we will be on very safe ground when we closely follow his example in all things. Let's bow our heads. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want his perfect character to be formed in us, but we want to minister with the power of the Holy Spirit. As God became man, Jesus, you became reliant upon the Holy Spirit. As we become new creations, we become reliant upon your Holy Spirit. May your word confirm in our lives today that we are called beyond ourselves, that we are called into a body, that we would become one and unified, that we would discover our gifts and our purpose, that we may minister to not only each other, but to the world who so desperately needs you. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit as a gift to us and who empowers us to share the gospel. Holy Spirit, we ask you to heighten the gifts in our lives and give us those things that we need in those moments of time where we step out in faith and trust you. Lord, we thank you that words of wisdom will increase, words of knowledge will increase, that the prophetic will increase amongst the body. We thank you, Lord God, that faith as a church will rise and our dependence upon you. Father, I thank you that we will see many miracles and many healings take place as the body take upon themselves the sacrificial servant heart of Christ and begin to minister in their workplace, in their schools, and into our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.